if you have something that you believe in, go for it. Um, just know that like that inspiration and that vision is part one and then the hard work is part two. But hard work plus consistency will yield results. You know, so far so good. So, Absolutely. I mean, before enlightenment, do the dishes. <laughs> After <laughs> enlightenment, do the dishes. <laughs> there you go. That's this is Pittsburgh, a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Today, my guests are Neil Blazin and Justin Vetter, owners of Driftwood Oven. Thanks so much for being on the show, guys. I really appreciate you being on today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. I understand that you both met at Lagoon Bistro in Oakland. Could you tell me what the first impression you had of each other was? Maybe take turns on this. What did you, what did you think when you first met each other, and, and um, how did the friendship evolve? Um, we met right away. We just became fast friends. I think just his okay. personality is super bubbly and fun and outgoing. And that time in my life when I started Lagoon, I was just really open to new experiences, and I wanted to know a lot about everybody there and the things that they're involved with so it was like educational for me and exciting he's like i'm going on the pacific coast trail i'm going to leave for like four months and i was like sweet and we were actually just talking about it the other day and we gave each other a big hug like i was like all right i'll cool. see you in like four months and i don't know it was just kind of it he spoke at my wedding that's which awesome was about a year later you know 16 months later so justin what did you what were your impressions of of neil what did you think when you when you first met yeah i mean uh neil was on butter joint side which wasn't even butter joint at that time it was uh, just the legume service bar mm -hmm. so him and our friend john who was the one that introduced me to legume and got me the opportunity to work there we're over on that side and yeah, him and Johnny were close friends. Um, I was really kind of interested in, you know, maybe bartending, which came a little bit later in my tenure at Legume. But uh, yeah, Neil was just, you know, very warm and welcoming. And um, at the time, I think in his life, and he can speak to this as, as well, I think Legume like opened up a lot of things to him, both like professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. We were very fortunate in that we worked with a tremendous staff um, there. It's unlike any other restaurant experience I've ever had. So there were artists and performers and farmers and all these people just you know they happen to be serving tables as well so we were very blessed uh to be surrounded by very unique driven individuals yeah i think that we just like neil said you know i mean when you meet like lifelong friends you gravitate towards them kind of instantly pretty quick and it that clicks was, yeah and so how how far into the friendship did you guys start talking about you know maybe having a business or doing a concept or creating food together or doing something like that? how how did that evolve and how did the con and did the and when you had those early discussions was it was it always centered around baking and bread and and pizza or or other related things or did you toss around some different concepts concepts and different ideas in those early conversations happened about two months before our first day of business oh wow uh, <laughs> yeah uh it was uh came together fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll let Neil take this side of the story because, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of, of his work that went into, like, you know, teaching himself baking and specifically the sourdough process at Legume before, you know, we decided to start Driftwood. So let's see. So in uh, 2012, I started baking at home. I was making a bunch of fresh pasta at home because I just really enjoyed the process. 
and well, I wanted to make some other staple good at home, which became bread, of course. And I wanted to start with uh, the most basic bread, which is sourdough, I thought, because it's only three ingredients, essentially, flour, water, salt, and culture. But I was able to start baking at Legume. The chef there let me bake um, on Sundays, and I actually was able to start baking some bread for the restaurant for a little while. But What, what, what gravitated you to bread? Did you... Uh was it because I know that's a big part of what you do. You have a passion for it. It really comes across in, sure. in, in your whether it's social or, your, or the website. Yeah. It, it, was it something in particular about whether it's working with the dough or is it something that got got you really excited? Or and it sounds like they let you early on. That was one of the first things yeah. they let you do. So what was it about bread that you gravitated to it? There's a couple of things. Um, I really enjoy working with my hands. So you know I rode a bicycle for a long time. So I really like tinkering, working on bikes mm -hmm. and things like that. And I love the process of cooking and making handmade pasta and those sorts of things. And so mixing bread at home became like this really fun thing. Um, and there's also this really great like scientific aspect to it that right. I enjoy, which is right. like, you know, you set up your parameters and you start baking and then you go, well, what happened? I don't know. This is the first time I baked. So it was a mess, you know, mm -hmm. but the idea that you can continually um, get a little better every day was really intriguing for me. Sometimes I'd make a really nice one and then I'd make a bunch of bad ones in a row. And uh, I just really love the process, the care that went into it. It took like a few days to make each loaf of bread and the maintaining the mother culture and, you know, mm -hmm. just I felt like the subtleties of baking were really just calling to me. I would like sit up late and just stare in my oven and watch the bread bake. And, you know, it was That's great. Awesome. I, just, I just really loved it. Going back to the concept, sure. the original, or you started talking a few months before you really started to do something. So yeah. going back to that, what, what kind of sparked that? What sparked that initial conversation? Well, I had been kind of working on some projects on my own. I was looking to bake other places and I was trying to find some jobs that might make sense but everything was kind of this like at the time of my life I was 30 you know four and I just there was no moves that made sense like financially and like growth wise I just started at the beginning so I was like okay maybe we can scratch together some money and open a spot and so I started looking into like restaurant spaces and I was like okay that's way way out of my league um, and then you know just doing some research online I saw people that had like wood-fired ovens and I really like that process of like heating the oven and and so I run into seeing people who are towing ovens around and doing the whole thing. I was like, okay, cool. I want so one I step. Love... One step led to the to the another and, and to yeah. another, and you started to piece so it all together. So the concept was like, okay, I want to be able to make bread and pizza on my own, but I can't afford a restaurant. Like, what's a great way to like get out there for cheap and not put a lot at risk, mm -hmm. you know? But really, and also at the process, like part of our business plan was like, hey, this is an educational experience for us. Where can we make mistakes that aren't so great sure um so, so it's, mobile, is, it, is working with bread and pizza it's pretty forgiving then in, in that respect well i guess what i mean by that is like um when you open up a restaurant and you don't knock it out of the park right away a lot of them close so it's a big you know thing part of the business model was like i needed to educate myself further in bread baking so you know when you go to breweries and coffee shops and things like that where people expect food trucks and to be totally honest like it's always not the best food so if you bring people something that you care about and eventually can work on it like it really i mean it's clearly worked out for us it's, it's been a really amazing adventure what was it about sourdough bread that you gravitated to i know that's a central theme in your restaurant today yeah. and what you do and and you do other things too but what is it about is, is there something special about that process or do, were you also thinking that you were coming at the pizza maybe at a different angle than, than others in the market and, and filling a different need or a different taste profile? Yeah, I think that's a great point is that we're coming at it from a different angle. Um, because we both worked at Legume, he mentioned earlier that we were uh, just exposed to a lot of new things and new ideas. And one of the surrounding things with Legume was the quality of the food, largely based on sourcing 
And then secondly, just the care that went into it, like a no-waste restaurant. Um, those sorts of ideas start spinning in my brain, and I think that sourdough bread, if you read a little bit about it, you find that it's easier to digest. It's just a better okay, way. Okay, I didn't know it. that. That's yeah. interesting. That's so interesting. So the fermentation process with sourdough bread is actually from it's a like a fer, it's a fermented grain gotcha. with water. Um, when you use rapid yeast or fresh yeast or something like that, it's a different process. You only get yeast, and you don't get any lactobacillus, which help mm. break down proteins and and create this wholly different thing. Okay, great. Um, so, so there's kind of a, I don't know if you want to call it dietary or scientific aspect to this too. It's not, it's the taste, yeah. it's all of this together. Going back to what you'd said earlier about the, the art and the science. Yeah, so what, if you've noticed, there's like a gluten-free trend. Like, sure. you know, it's been happening for the past like five to 10 years. Sure. I'm not, I will say I'm not advocating this, but if you do seem to have like a gluten intolerance, um, I would encourage you to try a, a sourdough mm, bread to see okay. if it makes a difference. I have heard, uh, you know, we don't tell people in the restaurant to do that, but people have tried our bread and have had great success with it. They've eaten like, not had gluten for years and had our bread because it's an organic grain, so it's, it lacks chemicals and things like that. And then it's also naturally fermented, which makes it easier to yeah. digest. So, um, and the flavor profile for sourdough bread, I just think is incredibly more complex mm -hmm. than yeasted breads. Um, Absolutely. And Justin, um, you're the lead of the front of the house. And so, uh, what are some of the operating principles that you, that you work by in terms of creating excellent, uh, an excellent guest experience? You know, what are some of the important principles or things that you think about, about how do I create that excellent guest experience and how do you do it consistently? So that it's because that's one of the areas where a lot of restaurants sometimes fall short is you can have it could be hit or miss. I'm sure you guys eat at many places. You know what I'm talking about? One place you tell a friend and it's killer. And then the next time the food might be pretty good, but the service isn't as good. And, you know, how do you approach that being the leader of that part of the business? It starts with um, what you said, consistency, consistency and respect, really. And, you know, that's for both the people that are in-house that are, you know, our staff members. But the people that walk through our door, um, we are very blessed in that we have a lot of regulars who supported us when it was just Neil and I in a 10 by 10 tent in 15 degree weather in Millville when we were at Grist House. Mm -hmm. The opportunity that we have to welcome them into our home that they helped build, everybody that walks through this door is a part of this journey. You know, I mean, Neil and I are the business owners and operators, but we are just one facet of this business. I mean, it's a two-way street between our leaders like Lindsay and Andy in the back and the entire staff in here, as well as our guests. So, you know, we know that we have a really great group of regulars that I feel that we have lifetime, you know, customers. But the important thing is to, you know, treat the people that are coming through that door like they are old regulars as well. And vice versa, our old regulars should be treated like first time guests every single time. You know, it's easy to kind of like find a spot and, you know, build up a good group of clientele and things become kind of, you know, routine and you, you know who You can they get are. complacent. Yeah, complacency is, you know, I, I think the death of a, of a restaurant as well. You know, you have to constantly be evolving. Um, and, you know, I think that that means on a front of the house level, you have to be evolving emotionally and you have to, you, these people are choosing us sure. and we are growing with them. Mm -hmm. So it's fantastic. Like when we first started, there would be people that would start dating and then they got married and now they're bringing their kids into Driftwood Oven. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's an amazing thing to be a part of this growing community and start so organically. And the majority of our regulars know our story, sure. which is, is huge. And to get into the details a little bit for people that are listening that are business oriented or want to start a business, sure. what kinds of things do you do to stay on top of it? So do you have Again, not to overcomplicate it, it's, it's a restaurant, you know, it's, it's, we're not building rocket ships here, but 
you still want to do things like do you like, do you review? Do you have team meetings? Do you review uh, hits and misses, uh, things that have gone right, things that have gone wrong? Is it a communication? I would imagine is a big deal in terms oh, of huge. working with your staff and building your yeah. team and cultivating your team and. You know, or, or there are certain, certain processes that you have in place to, you know, you probably both can't be here all the time and every single day, sure. but whether it's through management or, or, or just through your interaction with your staff, how are you staying on top of the service and making sure it's always on point as, as best as it can be? And when mistakes do happen, those are actually opportunities to really, I think, impress a guest because no one wants to have a, a mistake. No one wants to have that. But the difference between a good restaurant and a great restaurant is the one who reacts in a way where you so overwhelmed the customer with not only acknowledgement, but, but with, hey, we know that, we saw that, and we want to make it right for you, that they almost rave about that incident sure. instead of it being a, a thing where they, they slip out the door and then just never want to come back. Yeah. Well, accountability is huge when it comes to like the latter part of your question. And just being vulnerable and saying, you know, being honest with your guests, saying like, hey, you know, we made a mistake here. Like, what can we do to make it right? Humbling yourselves to the guests, you know, that shows a sign of humanity. And, you know, you, you connect and you make them feel important. Like, you're not trying to pass the buck off because of, like, some, occupa- or some operational mistake or something like that. So I think that's, you know, key. But to go back to the first part of your question, as far as staffing goes, every day we sit down and we have staff meal prior to service. So we break bread as an organization and as a restaurant, and we talk about the menu of the day. We talk about um, what to expect that weekend, if there's any new menu items, if there's any new drink changes. So that's only part of it. The second half of it is just literally sitting with your family and you know just sharing about what's going on with your life and things like that. And it's a nice calm before the storm moment. And that was something that was instilled in us, again, at Legume. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I can't overstate how important Legume is, not only for Neil and I, but if you look at this city and, you know, who's running some kitchens around this town, some of the best kitchens, like, there is an influence from, you know, Trevitt and Sarah and what they built over at Legume. And we have been very fortunate not only to take some of their ethos, but some of their uh, vending as well. Like we work with Who Cooks For You Farm, which is a farm up in New Bethlehem, and we met them through Legume. And we learned a great deal about sourcing and why, you know, that was so important through that place. So, you know, obviously like regular staff meals are one thing, but yeah, we do have sit down meetings with our managers and we have um, full house meetings and just, you know, making sure that every voice knows that it has a voice, number one, and that that voice is important. You know, it's often easy to lose yourself in the hierarchy of a restaurant or any sort of, you know, uh, business establishment, but we try to stress pretty regularly that Neil and I have an open door policy and that we're transparent. If there's something, you know, that you need to get off your chest, Mm -hmm. that there's no chain of command that you have to run it up. So we try to, you know, have a family environment and like with any family, like there's ups and there's downs and there's struggles along the way, but through the struggles is when you learn, you know, speaking of, speaking of that, um, you're both are partners in the business and not everybody has a partner. Some people do solo businesses and they're the sole owner and some people do have partners. Some people have multiple partners for you guys specifically, you're working together. And so there's going to be ups and downs. What are some of the challenges of having a partner, especially for those people listening that maybe want to get a partner for, maybe they feel like they need a partner in a business. And it seems like you guys are a real compliment to each other with the, the skills that you both bring to the, to the table. What are some of the challenges though of being in a partnership and some of the, maybe some of the things, maybe an example of something that you had to work through, but also then also on the other side of that, what are some of the rewards? What are some of the advantages? The advantages are, you know, you have somebody that you can rely on. You know, you really... A lot of people that we have chatted, you know, with, they're like, oh, it's really great. You have a great, great partner. And I'm like, absolutely. I mean, it, it's made us 
the two of us have been able to do this to get into this place only because it was the two of us. You know, I think if I had done it on my own, I might have got here eventually. But I think that our the thing that we have built together has really been why we're in here. You know, the hardest part is that we've lost a, a little bit. You know, there's like you have to balance, especially because we're good friends. We have to balance this sort of like friendship, business partnership thing, and that that is a difficult thing to navigate for sure. We are definitely being tested right now also. Um, just like we're in a new space, we've been growing so much for the past two years that we have now gone from, like he said, a 10 by 10 tent into this building with a variety of different facets now. So we're kind of like scrambling to figure things out. Thankfully, we've been fortunate enough to, um, because of our past at Legume and our good friendship, brought a lot of people on board who have a really great skill set um, that have helped us like, you know, just be, be successful allows us to do it. I think it's a great point you made because a lot of people I think there's a perception sometimes out there that partnerships can always are always bad or mostly bad or the you know you hear all these phrases you know partnerships are like a marriage and I, I I mean it was it's refreshing to hear you talk about how you're here because of it and I that's my experience as, as well and, sure. and being in partnerships myself and and I've I've also seen some great partnerships and some good examples in my own life and yes they have ups and downs but they can really work and they can bring people to a place that they wouldn't always be by themselves. I mean, it's the sharing of ideas and putting it, you know, of course there's gotta be, the right pieces have to be in place and there's sure. the, the personalities have to work most of the time, not all the time because no one right. gets along all the time, but, and sometimes a little bit of friction can actually be good. I don't know if you guys have experienced that, but sometimes a little bit, you know, I just mean a little bit of, you know, whether it's diversity of ideas or, you know, things like that. Sometimes if a person agrees with a hundred percent, all the time there's not something fresh there right and so you know as long as people are approaching that in a respectful way and listening to one another and there's a healthy relationship there it can actually really elevate people in a way that being alone and again nothing wrong with being alone a lot of times that works too but it can really elevate a business uh in a way that's different i don't know if that's your experience i think it is i mean we've definitely had times of friction and like some great growth has come out of those times i think something that we really um work on is this thing we just he mentioned earlier like honesty we do try to be like brutally honest with one another um we also expect like that sort of honesty to come from our staff which is very uncomfortable i think for them but we're like hey you talk about partnerships helping lift each other up like we're relying upon the staff here we've gone from like we said a tent into this building we're like we need you to help us find what policies work for you too, because you're the ones that are now originating this new business. Like we want you to help us in that. So the honesty, like that's great because it, that, that brutal honesty is so hard. Like you said, it's so hard. It's easy to say and so hard to do, but so important though. Like if you can do it even some of the time or most of the yeah. time, it, it has a huge payoff. It's kind of cliche, but you definitely learn way more from your, you know, hardships and your failures than you do from your successes. It's important Absolutely. to recognize in the moment when you are experiencing that plateau because there is an ever-growing you know carrot that you are chasing as an entrepreneur um, and you're always going to want to grow 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 and there's always going to be opportunities but um, I think it's important to um, appreciate you know what you have in those moments because like anything there's a give and take now both of you kind of mentioned this a little bit ago too that before you took on this space and 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 came here you were in other locations you know, you were working, whether it was making pizza at a brewery or, or in a tent, as you say, how important was that part of the process to get you to where you're at now? I know that this is, you're taking on the space and this is a new challenge, but you had some time right from the time you started until this point to, to work out some of those kinks and to try the, your food and your concept and possibly experiment, I'm assuming in other areas and other locations, how important was that to your growth and to your ability to be here today and be able to execute 
in this space? It was essential. There would be, there's no other way that we would have been here without starting up like that from a variety of factors. Um, you know, just from a startup point of, uh, you know, Neil and I started Driftwood Oven for less than $20,000. And um, after that, it was just like drive, 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 drive. And, you know, we really benefited from establishing groups of regulars all over town. So like I said before, like for two years, we were in Millvale um, at Grist House every Wednesday night. For two, for two years, every Sunday, we were at Roundabout Brewing in Lawrenceville every, uh, or I'm sorry, Wednesday night in Millvale and Sunday night in Roundabout. We were Friday nights at a uh, cafe over in Greenfield called Staghorn, which is where Neil lives. So when we did decide to move in, we had four or five pockets of regulars from all over town that were descending mm-hmm. upon Driftwood. And, you know, we have a very unique model, and I really feel that the city is, is pulling for Driftwood Oven and for Neil and I. And we have... Um, and a lot of that, uh, you know, really shined through when we first moved in because we did a very successful Kickstarter um, campaign. And through that campaign, we were seeking to raise, what was it, 24000 something like that? Like twenty eight five. But we ended up raising close to $45,000. And that was all wow. the people that supported us for the first two and a half years of business. It's huge. That was the press yeah. that we got from, you know, the papers. So all of that was really the first push. We knew we were going to have these regulars from, you know, the first two and a half years of business doing the mobile thing, but we knew we were going to get a glut of new people just from the press, from the story of the, the You had the momentum campaign. going into this for sure. That really helped as opposed to just somebody who starts cold, Absolutely. opens up a shop, puts a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever into a build out and doesn't really have that momentum. I mean, it sounded like it really worked for you guys. It was absolutely essential. Like the Driftwood story would not be what it is without the way that we started this business for the first two and a half years. Um, Neil, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the flour because I know that's such an important part of what you do. Sure. And you know, pizza has a lot of major components. The sauce is obviously important. The cheese is important. The toppings are important. But the bread, I mean, it's really the foundation and the the crust, the bread. And, And I also know that you bake bread. And I know what's important to you is organic and, and small batch and uh, adding some whole grain and things. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, when I got into baking on my own, I really wanted to use just local grains, um, which are very few around here. There's not much growing around here. It's uh, Western Pennsylvania. It's very wet. It's hard to grow grain around here. Um, rye works very well, which is why we had lots of rye whiskey mm-hmm. around here. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the problems that I found out with using local grain is inconsistency, but consistency, as we talk about, is a big thing, especially for you know an up, a new restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so we still use all organic grains and use a lot of whole grain in our, in our, in our doughs, but um, the local flour thing has kind of like isn't happening right now it's hard to do which is yeah. which um, i think most people can understand i mean like you said we're part yeah. of the country we live in yeah. i mean i don't think anybody expects that just choosing what you're choosing though sounds like you're really still making a, a strong effort to have the best product you can put out yeah just intention into what goes into grain i think is important a wheat berry is very capable of uh soaking up chemicals and all those fun things so i really am just trying to stay away from that stuff i believe that you get you know it really has this come from a place of you wanting to eat clean yourself or yeah. whether it's your family or you or people around and really treating your guests as sort of extended family and and wanting to provide that that really solid product for them yeah absolutely i think that you know cost is a big driver in business obviously um i don't mind spending a little money to make sure that you know i'm not ignoring some information that's out there the food scene and information about chemicals and all this stuff is continually changing it's very hard to keep up with but we're just trying to do the best that we can with the information that we're given and so yeah we want people to have a really high quality product that 
isn't necessarily going to make them sick or has just chemicals in it in general. You know, we do right. try to eat as clean as we can. Yep. And really, it's like this holistic thing for me. It's, you know, we're a local business. We're trying to put as much local money back into the community. We want people here to buy our goods. We use a local farmer for our meat. You know, our mozzarella curd comes from um, Caputo Brothers Creamery, which isn't too far. You know, they make a really great product. It's from two dairy farms. You know, we're really just trying to keep it right here. Um, so we're trying to, it's, it's like we care about ourselves and our staff and everybody that we're involved with. And, you know, we're trying to do the best that we can in all those avenues. Yeah. And speaking of ingredients, since we're talking about ingredients, sure. you also make a strong effort in your menu, for example, to list where a lot of the major ingredients are coming from. Local farm, a lot of it is Pennsylvania. I'm curious, uh, again, how important that is. And also, also, could you talk a little bit about the reaction of your guests? You know, are people appreciating that? Are they noticing that? Or they, they do they recognize any of the any of the farms, for example? I mean, what sure. sort of feedback do you get from from the public? Because there's a lot of transparency in food, um, you know, now so much more than there was 20 years ago. There are definitely people who are, you know, going through a menu with a fine tooth comb and they're picking out things and they're mm-hmm. asking a whole lot of questions. And that's always great. And I've had people that have come back in almost in tears, mm. saying. I can eat bread again. I can eat bread again. Yeah, for real. That's awesome. I mean, like, they... They say, I mean, they can't like crush a whole pizza like they once did in college or something like that, but they can come in and they can have a slice or two. And for somebody that thought they lost their favorite food, like that is a beautiful experience. And it really shows the power of food. Pizza is a really, you know, when Neil asked me to be his business partner, I was just fortunate enough to like eat his, you know, pizza and eat his bread. And I knew that he had something special. And... We worked very well together and we were a good team, but I didn't really think a whole lot about like the like pizza subculture and like the importance of pizza in the society and what it all means. And now after doing it for like five years, like I look at pizza totally different. <laughs> right. And you know, when I see a group it's a cult, come right? in, it, it, is, <laughs> it is in a way. It, is. it really is. In a good way. Like everybody. Yeah. Everybody's right. in the pizza cult. Yeah. Everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. But the beauty is, is like you see a group of four people come in, whether they're like new friends or old friends or something like that, people engage with one another and they come to a consensus on what I want on my pizza. You want to try this? You want to do half pepperoni? You want to do half mushroom? All this. They have a conversation. Whereas another traditional restaurant, people are, you know, looking, they're like, oh, I'm going to have the fish. I'm going to have the steak. I'm going to have sure. this. And it's, a, it's an individual decision. Right. And watching a group come together and literally break bread at a table is a beautiful thing. That's cool. And it's something that I never would have thought of before, but I see that power every day when there's a group of people that are just laughing and, and pulling pizza off the, 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 the same plate. And it seems like an oversight, and maybe I'm over-romanticizing it because it's my life over the past five years, but I definitely see the, the power of this food and what it does and the reason why it's a mainstay in every Absolutely. city in America. So we talked a minute ago about pizza culture and, and, and as with a shop here, I mean, you really serve as a connecting point. And so in what ways have you connected with people? In what ways do you feel part of the community, both not only inside the four walls of your business, but outside here on the street too, as you walk up and down and people recognize you and they say hello, in what ways have you connected with the public in, in your neighborhood? One thing that really touched me was years ago, we, uh, my son was born, you know, mm-hmm. he's now three and a half and we were down at roundabout and one of our regular guests came up and she had like a gift basket with like a bear and some books and it's really like those sorts of things are really touching i feel like they feel like you're part of their family probably we were able to interact the two of us with so many people before we came in here um but i think 
something that we both hold really dear is relationships and friendships and and really connecting with people Mm -hmm. um yes we're business owners now but it's really you know this place as much as he was saying it just welcomes people in it makes people feel good and that's like that's a gift on its own i come out of the kitchen and stand here and watch people smile and eat and gather and like the staff smiling and laughing with them it's the part that feels good right lights you lights you up it's kind of you know why you're doing it it's absolutely why we're doing it so somebody listening to this is, is probably planning on starting a business. Maybe they already started a business. And what advice would you give to someone? It doesn't have to be food related, but they're starting out or they just started. What advice would you share with them or give them, especially as it pertains to partnerships? You have to have faith and you have to have a vision that you believe in. I mean, when people ask me about Driftwood Oven and they ask me about our story and things like this, you know, I always say this, and this is 100% true. I never doubted that we would be successful. Um, I did not know, I had no idea what the journey was going to be. Sure. And there have been, a, there's been a lot of ups and downs. Like as Neil and I said, like we are, we are partners, but we're also brothers. We are also each other's therapists. Uh, we are also <laughs> each other's like, totally true. you know, we, we, we are each other's shadows. Right. There's a lot of ways that we work very, very well together, like areas that I lack, Neil excels in, and vice versa. Um, But there's also extremes of those. So, um, you know, you have to be able to be brutally honest with your partner. You have to be able to take criticism. Um, You will get a thick skin and, you know, you're going to be tested because your relationships, I mean, there's a reason why the phrase, it's not personal, it's just business exists. And business is cold, it can be hard, um, and it's like, you know, very objective. Um, So you're gonna be tested. So you just have to be, you know, aware that you're gonna be tested in ways that you've never been before and be able to separate those things. Like, what am I feeling? Is this personal? What am I feeling? Is this, you know, business? Am I being honest with myself first? Because if you can't be honest with yourself about what your limitations are, you're never going to be able to be honest with your business partner or your staff or your guests. And that will eventually seep into, you know, the rest of your world. So if you have something that you believe in, go for it. Um, Just know that like that inspiration and that vision is part one. And then the hard work is part two. But hard work plus consistency will yield results. You know, so far, so good. So, Absolutely. I mean, before enlightenment, do the dishes. <laughs> After <laughs> enlightenment, do the dishes. <laughs> there you go. That's, yeah. Yeah, do you have anything to add on, on and any advice, partnership advice or advice for somebody starting out? Um, advice for somebody starting out is do more research than I did. There's really a lot of information out there. Just start talking to people about it because there's just a lot of stuff that you're going to run into that maybe you weren't prepared for. I definitely, you know, felt, feel like that with some things. Um, our motto is a little better every day. Kind of, we say it a lot. It's just like, you're going to have these little failings and stuff, but if you're, if if the general trend is up for you, that's great. You have to kind of look long-term, you know, it's hard to not be caught up in the moment sometimes, but really, you know look long term. Neil and Justin, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com, thestartupshop.net, that shop spelled S-H-O-P-P-E, 
or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Take care.